You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. We live. Forgive me, I understand the name of this podcast is the Locked On Hornets Podcast. I understand we are supposed to talk about that franchise, and we might sprinkle in some other NBA topics, usually in the third segment. That's usually C-block fire, and I understand all of that. Yet, how can you give me those two games yesterday and expect me to lead off with anything other than C.J. McCollum's shot? Sure, but then we get to Kawhi Leonard's shot, driving baseline, having that thing bounce four times off the rim Plinko shot and being a series clincher over the Philadelphia 76ers with all of the ramifications that come with losing that series with everything all the consequences all the storylines that we're going to be talking about this offseason what this team does how are they going to come back do they need to shuffle the deck what does Kawhi do is this the only way that they can keep Kawhi in Toronto yes we get so many storylines from just that one game and then we can dwindle it down even to that one shot dictates so many storylines and therefore we are going to try to steal Sean Woodley's thunder and speak about the Raptors here today that shot if it had well I I I think that people are going to be doing videos in the future like what if that shot misses right because it does have 30 yeah it does have so many ramifications and it's the shot that you see in movies right like it's token basketball movie shot last second it bounces four or five times in slow motion everyone's staring at it (laughs) that's great so many great pictures there's so many great pictures there's so many great facial expressions from all of the coaches on the Raptors coaching staff you see Adrian Griffin on the sideline looking up at it you see a couple of other coaches that I don't know their name some are scared to find out what the result's going to be others are more anxious than scared some are in awe one guy like bites his lip like I don't think that's good (laughs) there's a bunch of different facial expressions and I think I'm the guy that bites my lip I don't think that's good I thought it might people bite their lip when things aren't good Mm, I I thought that was like the thing you do in pictures to look sexy I don't think he's looking provocative I don't think he thought it was a sexy sexy shot I think I saw one guy give duck lips that was weird it was weird I that guy was probably me he looks Kawhi Leonard's shot has to go over a seven footer and it looks left to me it looks left left it looks short it looks too high I thought there was a possibility that he would airball and it was short he gets a good bounce it it's short bounces straight up in the air catches just a little bit of the inside of the rim and we know the rest it bounces a couple of other times as we're all waiting I said this earlier it reminded me of watching Happy Gilmore's game-winning putt or, or bink, tournament bink, winning putt bink, yeah bink, everybody's bink. just watching the basketball and then we're waiting so long after the ball's already in the air once it drops we see oh my god and Kawhi gets his it gets his gold jacket and he's doing the squat so Jordan has the shrug and now Kawhi gets the squat like you have to have fantastic sort of, celebrations for yeah. both of these we get Jordan's Craig Elo shot that was the last series clinching buzzer beater that we got in the last game of a so a winner take all game we got Damian Lillard's series clinching shot but it was the last game of a series right so a game five for MJ that was an 89 this was our first seven game uh, those our first game seven game winning shot from a player and both that's great crazy. reactions both great reactions that's a that's an insane stat I had to I saw that on Twitter and it was from Sports Center, and I still thought it was fake I'm like how have we not had with Kobe 
And Jordan, and I understand Jordan played in the era with with Game 5s in the first round, but how have we not had a buzzer beater in a Game 7? That's crazy. No, we've gotten Game 7s for, I mean, I feel like we have a decent sample size of times that it could have happened and the fact that it hasn't it is outstanding now the thing is we're talking about really what is the second best game winner in that stadium this entire season (laughs) that's what we're going to lead off with shout out to jeremy lamb it is lottery week we appreciate you joining us here on what is the locked on hornets podcast we promise we we are presented by the locked on podcast network it's your team every day local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network you can find the show handle on most social media platforms at locked on hornets i myself am on twitter at walker mail and doug is on twitter at doug branson loh so it is lottery week it's going to happen tomorrow night i forget what time it is doug is it like 8 p.m something like that i'll look it up all right so they got the lottery tomorrow night we'll tell you what time that is going to be in just a little bit and we know that the hornets have not had a whole lot of good luck in the draft lottery anytime that we're a bad team and we can legitimately maybe not even expect but hope for the number one overall pick you know that we're going to get the second overall pick and miss out on a transcendent talent like an Anthony Davis and when we're in the teens when we're at 11 overall when we have the 12th best odds we usually land on the exact place we expect to get once we start watching that in the first place so NBA.com says that ESPN will air the results live at 8 30 p.m eastern time but I'm not sure about that because sometimes they overproduce this whole affair and you don't end up getting the results until like you know 10 30 oh they drag it out <laughs> they want your eyes as long as they can and they put together a really bad product for the first 30 minutes and then the last 15 is all you really care for the reveal the dramatic reveal and then by that time we're already tired and just want this thing to end already so coach borrego will represent uh the charlotte hornets by showing up there mitch Kupchak back in the ping pong ball throne room So we will have a witness. At least there won't be any sort of conspiracy theory, at least from Mitch Kupchak. He will see it. See, I want a conspiracy theory. I want want some tomfoolery from Kupchak. Hornets hold 4.8% chance of a top four pick and a 1% chance at the coveted Zion Williamson pick. So just 1%. We have seen some teams with really low odds do well in the lottery before. So examples of teams with at least 4.8% or lower that actually jumped in the top four, we can go back to Sacramento, which eventually would turn into Boston's pick because Boston owned every single pick. Put it on the poll. Does Boston own your pick this season? Boston got the third overall selection, 2.8%, where they were able, you remember, trading Markel Fultz. They eventually get Jason Tatum, so they did jump in the top four. They eventually would select him. 2014, the Cleveland Cavaliers got the number one overall pick, and that was the Andrew Wiggins pick, which a lot of people were excited about. Certainly hasn't lived up to the hype that Andrew Wiggins brought coming out of Kansas. In 2012, the Los Angeles Clippers from Cleveland, by the way, or so Cleveland from the Los Angeles Clippers, I should say, excuse me, they got Kyrie Irving. So the Clippers would have gotten him, but the Cleveland Cavaliers owned that pick at 2.8%. Kyrie Irving was able to go to the Cavaliers with the number one overall selection. And the one that I remember more so than anything, because I think it was the first time we had seen a team with that low of odds win the number one overall selection. It was Chicago in 2008. They had a 1.7% chance of getting the number one overall selection, and they got hometown kid Derrick Rose. And that brought a lot of conspiracy because that was the first time that we saw them have that low of the odds and get the hometown kid eventually winning an MVP before some things happened that did not allow him to be a good basketball player in the end. But we've seen some teams jump up to the top four. We've seen a team get to number one overall 
It just hasn't happened for us, Doug. We have had the worst lottery history, maybe in NBA history, compared to what other teams have done in their situations and the context that they deal with. I want some tomfoolery. I want some foolishness. I want some buffoonery. I want some Mitchchiff. Where does tomfoolery come from? Why is it Tom? Why is his first name Tom? Mitchchiff Kupchak. Do we have any information on why it's tomfoolery or why it's mischief? I'll look it up. All right, please do. This is the Locked On Hornets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with plenty more talk about what a top four pick could potentially do for the Charlotte Hornets. And we're doing a lot of profiles this week. We're doing a lot of draft profiles where we can talk about Jackson Hayes. We've got a couple of guys that might be there at number 12 overall, if that's where the Hornets are picking, talking about Darius Garland and Jackson Hayes. Romeo Langford, a ton of evaluations for you this week. It should be a good week on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. We'll be back with the second segment after the break. If you don't mind, just go ahead. You are listening to the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Unless Mitch has Buzz on his lap and Buzz is sort of Santa the vin- style, the, I like it. Oh yeah, or ventriloquist, you know. <laughs> well, let's see how, how how much ventrilo- ventriloquist yeah. are we going? <laughs> I don't think anything, or I don't, I don't want to go that much. Whoa, yeah, I don't want to go with ventriloquist. Let's go. I like the Santa style a little bit more. Either one is creepy. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. I mentioned before the break, we have a ton of draft profiles. We also did all of those via the pre-record, and you can get exclusive rights to listening to those. Exclusive! If you sign up for our Patreon page, we already have them pre-recorded, and they're there for you to listen to. You don't have to wait before we play them. You can listen to them. If you sign up for patreon.com slash LOH, that's our Patreon page. It's just $1 a month. Very affordable. If you want to hear those before they come out, early or later this week, I probably, I don't know, we'll play. I think we've got our Duke draft evaluations tomorrow. We've got Zion. Jackson. Yeah, Zion. All three of them. Zion, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish. We got all the evaluations for those guys. We got Jackson Hayes, which will actually play later on in this show. But it will be a lot of draft profiles. Again, go to patreon.com slash LOH, and you can check them all out before we actually play them via the podcast. And help me get filthy rich yes doug needs to get filthy rich and it wouldn't hurt if i got a little money in my pocket so yeah we'll see <laughs> top four selections a top four overall pick for the charlotte hornets we haven't seen a ton of success for the hornets selecting in that area really in a lot of different areas we can go back to some top four selections on the team right now it's mkg who was drafted second overall by the then bobcats cody zeller was drafted number four overall by the then Bobcats. Kimball Walker. Fans love that pick, by the way. Well, and, you know, I think that's the one that probably is the most okay, even in hindsight. And now you get C.J. McCollum's shot. He was in that draft. He was drafted 10th overall. Mm -hmm. Giannis, I believe, was 15th in that very draft. And so both of those guys, of course, you would want the Bobcats to select. I just feel like, what's the window and when when hindsight can still ring true, right? Like, C.J. McCollum getting drafted at 10, I don't think anybody was talking about him getting selected at 4 overall, were they? You know, Giannis, no. Giannis certainly not. Well, because there wasn't much tape on Giannis. It's yeah. not like today where, like, Luka had a ton of tape. Everyone knew Luka mm-hmm. had the goods. 
Nobody really knew if Giannis had the goods or not. Nobody, You know, it's funny to think, like, no one really thought that KP had the goods, or there were some questions. Oh, of course, they got destroyed. The Knicks got destroyed. Phil Jackson didn't even want KP. He wanted Jaleel Okafor if he would have been there. But now we have much more information on these players. But also, you know, McCollum came out of Lehigh. You heard a you heard a statement after the game, right? And came, out know, came out the God, mud. God, that's so awesome. Oh man, I love it when they just they had he had that sound bite ready. Ah, uh, it was so good. I love it when they have those sound bites ready also. I mean, that was a great sound bite. We got a great sound bite. We got a great visual with the Kawhi Leonard shot and CJ McCollum. Hurts to not see him in a Hornets uniform. But the Cody Zeller one was actually the one that you can go back to and okay. And you look at a couple of the other guys that went directly after Cody Zeller, and you feel okay about that. Victor Oladipo was the best player around that area that had number one overall draft hopes that was drafted second overall. And it even took him a little while before he lived up to that. Remember, that was Anthony Bennett. It's funny, I wanted Anthony Bennett. I thought he would actually last to number four, and thank God he didn't. Thank God we got Cody Zeller there. But, so, but they dodged a couple of bullets. Alex Lynn taken yeah, uh, fifth five, overall yeah. after that. Nerlens Noel, who's had some injury inju- issues. Ben McLemore, who I was high on. I like Ben. I did like Ben. And yep. that hasn't worked out tremendously. Uh, KCP has had an okay career. Trey I'll Burke. I'll take Cody over KCP. That was a weak draft overall. Then Michael Carter-Williams coming in at 11, and he was the rookie of the year. Winning rookie of the year. I remember his solo, or his uh, solo debut. Not his solo debut. His debut, he looked very good almost getting a quadruple double in his very first performance in the NBA. Watching Michael Carter-Williams do that at 13th overall, I believe, is when he was selected. So Michael Carter-Williams winning the Rookie of the Year. But what, what would a top-four pick do for the Hornets this season? So you've got Zion Williamson. We know he's going to be the number one overall pick. I don't care what position you need. Ja Moran is going to be like second or third along with rj barrett i think that'll be the debate who do you take it to is it rj or is it john i actually had that debate with donald wine who's coming up tomorrow to talk about all three of those duke prospects that'll be awesome well you can pay one dollar a month to listen to it earlier or you can just wait for it to drop on the podcast i think it's a legitimate debate and i think as we get closer to the draft i think john morant right now is penciled in at two but i think as we get closer Teams are going to consider RJ at two. I think RJ's a good prospect, man. I really do think so. He was good for Duke this season, and there was a lot of questions at the beginning where he had some tunnel vision right when they lost to Gonzaga early. This was a Duke team that people were talking about after the Kentucky slaughtering. You were going to say, is this a team that could go undefeated? And R.J. Barrett lost to Gonzaga along with the Duke team, and he got tunnel vision, right? But after that, I thought he had a really good year. People are down on him because, I guess, Duke was a team that didn't perform up to everybody's expectations in March, and Zion just took all of the storylines. R.J. Barrett is a legitimately good player that should get some consideration over John Moran. Yeah, a lot of times you you look at these players and you put them in the context of what happened in college basketball, and not often enough do we look at them as just pure NBA prospects, which is what these guys were. Like We wouldn't be having these same conversations if uh, the, the one-and-done rule wasn't instituted if these guys could come straight out I mean RJ is a guy that in the future is going to be a player that you put the ball in his hands and ask him to go get you a bucket Zion's that same way I'm not sure if you can say that about John Morant is there anybody else that's in that tier it's Zion and then it's RJ Barrett and John Morant and then it's a big group yeah, yeah. We, we've seen Kobe it's White Zion, at four. tier one, right. RJ and Ja, tier right. two, and then everybody else. And then it's DeAndre Hunter at four, Darius Garland at four. I'd, 
a lot of Kobe big White, like marks. you said, I, yeah. there's a lot of guys that could go there at number four, and I'm interested to see. That's that's when the draft will really begin. Right? I'm high on Kobe White, though. See, that's what oh, I think. I am like, too. I like a top Kobe. three guarantees you a player that is going to be an impact type player. Four, you get a little bit of question mark, but I think if if you got four and you could talk yourself into Kobe White, that would be amazing as well. But to me, a top four pick would mean hope. You know, a top four pick would give hope to the fan base that is that they're desperately looking for something to cling to in terms of the future of this franchise with all of these contracts that are that are still uh, laboring this franchise. And, and you've got to wait these contracts out. You can't move them. You can't trade them. You got Kimball Walker is a big question mark. Is he a part of the future? Is he not? I think a top four pick would really allow fans to feel hope again. Do you consider trading that at all? Do you use that as a bargaining chip for Bradley Beal? Two, three, four, yes. Number one, absolutely not. No Zion. Zion's not on. How rare is it when you get an opportunity to get a a player that all scouts agree is going to be a franchise-changing piece? you got to take that. No, you take Zion, and you don't trade him. You keep no. Zion, and if even if that if that means keeping Kimba, fine. If that means moving on from Kimba, fine. I don't care what the next decision is. The first one is select Zion at number one. I'm with you. You don't trade him for Bradley Beal. But two, three, and four you do? You don't have any problem trading those guys for Bradley Beal? Alongside, of course, keeping Kimba. That is that is the stipulation. Depending on what you could get in return, I think you know if there was a team that was extremely interested in John Morant and could offer you several star-level players uh, on you know decent contracts, I think you have to consider those things. To me, number one is is out of the question, though. It's the Lockdown Hornets podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. We'll take a quick break. We do have our Jackson Hayes draft evaluation coming up on the other side of the break. It is lottery day tomorrow. We will talk about that quite a bit, and hopefully we can get one of those top four picks that we were just discussing. It would mean a lot of really good things, as long as they're able to capitalize, which is still a question. But it would hopefully mean a lot of good things for the Charlotte Hornets. Maybe Jackson Hayes could be that guy. We'll talk with Westcott Eberts of BurntOrangeNation.com about Jackson Hayes on the other side of the break. Once again, this is LOH on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Locked On Hornets. And I'm, I have plenty of hurricane snacks. Went out and bought some Chex Mix. <laughs> yeah. Which, what kind of Chex Mix? This savory, it was a savory Chex Mix. It's you're a, an, a lot you're, of cheese going on in that Chex oh, Mix. You're an expert on Chex Mix, correct? Right? Well, on I, just I'm, trail mix. I'm very particular about my trail mix. I'm what not as particular, particular about, about my check, Chex Mix. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. People have been waiting all show for the origins of tomfoolery. I've got it here. Worldwidewords.org says it starts showing up around the 1300s in the Latinate form of Thomas Fatuus, and it's used to refer to ordinary people, like in the phrase Tom, Dick, or Harry, and then it wow. just becomes Tom Fool later on. It's like a character. I don't know if I learned a whole lot from that explanation, to be honest with you. I just want I, a conspiracy I theory. I want I want Mitch to get in there and dust it up, man. I, I heard some dirty words in there that were passed off as names, and I think my mind just kind of wandered off of that. 
Anything that he needs to do, let's get it done. I'm ready to hope again. A new hope. We're coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. Doug talked with Westcott Eberts, one of the best names that you'll ever hear on this podcast. He talked with Westcott Eberts of BurntOrangeNation.com about Jackson Hayes. He's a four-star recruit turned high upside lottery pick, and he could be there at number 12, if that is indeed where the Charlotte Hornets are selecting. Could be a guy in consideration to don the purple and teal. Here's that interview right now on the Locked on Hornets podcast. You know, the confidence that Hayes has and uh, the self-possession for someone that young um, is really impressive, especially considering that, you know, two years ago, he was a guy who had just finished his junior season at uh, Archbishop Moeller in, in Cincinnati, and he'd only played about six minutes a game and averaged less than two points. And so to be where he is now and, and be so confident about his ability to get there, given where he was, it makes, uh, you know, his story a really unique one. Yeah, you bring up a good point, Westcott. He he was a four-star recruit coming into Texas, right? I mean, what was the perception of him coming into Texas? Because he wasn't. Uh, it, it's not a situation where he was a uh, uh, like a five-star recruit, right? Yeah, I mean, he was a guy who really took off his junior season. Uh, that was the first time that he played uh, AAU basketball, which is obviously such a huge showcase uh, for high school players, getting them in, in front of. Uh, you know, college coaches at that time, he had an offer sight unseen from Middle Tennessee State. You know, after that unimpressive junior season, he had been um, a football player, really. Uh, his, his father played in the NFL for a long time, was a long time uh, Cincinnati Bengals tight ends coach. Um, so coming into that AAU season, uh, he didn't really have a lot of interest and you know, ended up blocking a shot against Zion Williamson that was kind of credited with not only getting some getting him some attention, but also increasing his confidence. Uh, he went on to pick up 42 offers, uh, you know, still wasn't a super highly considered recruit. He was kind of considered a guy who would come in and, and maybe play a little bit, um, kind of more of a, more of a project because, you know, it wasn't really clear that there are a lot of things that he could do other than, you know, blocking shots and, and dunking. Um, you know, some of the buzz started last year before the season when friend Frischilla said that he thought he was the best long-term prospect that he saw in over 20-plus practices that he attended. And Chaka Smart said that he wasn't going to be a seeker very long. And then, you know, even in the first game, started to see flashes, trailing and play in transition against Eastern Illinois, spikes the ball off the backboard, goes back down on the other end of the court, catches the ball, dunks it in, in one fluid motion, and that kind of started setting things in motion. And, and, and it pretty quickly became apparent that, you know, he was – going to be a highly regarded um, NBA prospect, you know, even though blocking shots and, and dunking were still the best things that he, that he was doing. All right, so listen, Westcott, I'm going to level with you. I cover the NBA, so I haven't had a, a, a big opportunity to watch a lot of college basketball, so I need your help. I need to sound smart when I talk about Jackson <laughs> Hayes. I need, to, I need to sound shaka smart when I talk about Jackson Hayes, so give me some bu- buzzwords. What are some buzzwords that I can use to sound shaka smart? when I talk about Jackson Hayes? Well, I think maybe, you know, the way that I like to think about it is it's how some of those wide receiver skills uh, translate. And I actually asked Jackson about this yesterday, and, and he mentioned um, just the, uh, like the hand-eye coordination and the toughness that comes from playing football. But what I really think about more is, is the type of 
body control that you need to be a great receiver. And so one of the most impressive things about, you know, Hayes is just the, the fluidity that he has. You know, there's a ball that he caught um, on a lob that had come off the side of the backboard that he was able to dunk. And, you know, he's a guy who doesn't really need a lot of time to gather and go up. He has great hands. Like he said, he has, he has great eye coordination. So, you know, he can kind of twist his body in the air and, and be able to, you know, finish plays that a lot of guys, you know, aren't really capable of. So, you know, Texas really centered their offense around his rim running ability and ran a lot of uh, spread, you know, pick and roll. He was even able you know, to flash some ability at times to, to short roll or even, you know, pass the ball a little bit, you know, very excellent shot blocker. I think he was, his block rate was in, you know, the top 15 and, you know, just the, the timing and again, like, you know, the hand-eye coordination uh, really stood out there. And he also, he shot over 80% uh, from the free throw line in conference play. Um, he didn't really, he didn't really, uh, I think he only took one jump shot. You know, that's something that he's working on right now to try to develop. But he obviously, you know, he has very good touch as evidence, you know, by his uh, shooting at the free throw line at a fairly high volume. And, you know, so I think really, you know, just to, to boil it down, you know, if you think about everything that goes into making, you know, a good big bodied receiver in the NFL, uh, those also translate really well to the basketball court uh, for Jackson Hayes. So the Longhorns right now, they're getting a little bit of a reputation for one-and-done big men. You had Jared Allen and Mo Bamba. I mean, how do Jackson Hayes' stats and his game match up with those guys? Is it fair to compare uh, to those players, or, or are they pretty vastly different? Uh, I think I think there's, you know, the biggest sim- similarity besides being at Texas is, you know, working with Darren Horn, who just t- took over as a coach at Northern Kentucky. Uh, he's really well regarded for his ability to develop front court players. Um, so I think, you know, just coming into the NBA with a good baseline level of knowledge about how to play the position is something that's similar. I think what, you know, in comparison to a guy like, you know, Mo Bamba, I think, um, you know, you know, Jackson Hayes doesn't have the length that Mo Bamba has, and he's not as good of a rebounder, which is his biggest concern, I think, for Hayes, that, you know, his, his rebounding rate uh, just wasn't really, you know, what it should have been. I think Mo Bamba, uh, I think his defensive rebounding rate was something like 28%, just, I mean, an absurd number, and I think Hayes was down around 16. So, you know, that's a really an area of concern. But, you know, for Bamba, when he got to Texas, he had some issues with playing hard all the time or at least looking like he was playing hard. Um, and Smart really gave Jackson Hayes a lot of credit for his competitive spirit, which he said was, you know, one of the best on the team. And, you know, so looking back on on the one year that, that Hayes had in Austin, you know, it really stands out to me that I don't think he – he didn't leave anything on the court. I think in virtually every minute that he was on the basketball court, he was engaged and he was playing hard. So what should Hornets fans expect out of Jackson Hayes if they – you know, in those first few seasons, if they do indeed make him the pick. Yeah, well, I think, you know, the NBA, you know, for those big men, you know, there is a value for guys who can block shots and, um, you know, be able to catch and, and finish balls around the rim. And, and he, he, he definitely will be able to do that. So that's a baseline expectation. He'll play hard. He'll play smart. You know, it stuck out to me that, you know, after that first game against Eastern Illinois, you know, he was asked about, um, 
you know, I don't remember the specific question, but, you know, his response was that he was telling the point guard, hey, like, you know, I'm open, you need to find me. And if I'm not open, then the guy in the corner is open. So in his first game, he's already coaching up like an older player and, and letting him know what's going on. And so I think you can expect someone, um, Hornets fans, you know, can expect someone um, who has a high level of basketball intelligence. He learns really quickly. Uh, he doesn't have to be told things multiple times, but he can also translate those things onto the court really quickly. And so I think, you know, one of the reasons why he's considered a top 10 pick and, and why there are so many people enamored with his potential is because he does learn things so quickly. And so the upside for him, um, you know, is virtually unlimited. And, and that makes it difficult to predict, you know, where he's going to be as a player um, in a couple years. But, you know, I wouldn't really be surprised you know, to, he's working on his handle right now, too, to see him add some of those elements. He showed flashes, as I mentioned, as a passer. Um, and he does have the touch to ultimately become a shooter, you know, perhaps out to the three-point line eventually. Great info there. Here's what I'm wondering. So Jackson, a big-time dunker, big-time athlete. But I'm wondering, like, if he spelled his name, his first name with a CK instead of an X, would he jump half as high? Like, I feel like Jackson Hayes with a CK is like, he's running for president. He's got a powdered wig on, like back in the 1800s. But Jackson with an X, oh, 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 watch out, baby. Maybe so. I think uh, all the ultimate credit goes to, um, you know, the, the athletic genes that he has in his family. His, his mom actually uh, averaged over 50 points a game in, in high school and, and went on to become a standout at Drake. So, you know, he, he really got it from uh, both sides. And I think... You know, that gives him a lot of confidence, too. Thanks to Westcott Eberts once again of BurntOrangeNation.com talking a little bit about Jackson Hayes and Doug asking him a little bit about what he expects him to do at the next level and just his lone year playing with the Texas Longhorns. Doug, what did you think stood out most in particular, I guess, to you? Uh, the more I watch of Jackson Hayes, the more excited I get. I've said this many times. I hope the Hornets, if they do indeed land at 12, that they take a big risk. I want them to go for the home run. I want them to find the freak athlete or the guy with the, the freak physical attributes that lead to stardom. I don't want the safe pick. I don't want the skill pick. I want the guy that's going to to light fans on fire. And Jackson Hayes is full of fire. He's full of aggressiveness. When he dunks it, he dunks it absolutely as hard as he can. And, and I just think he has the potential to be something great. Going to take some time, but I think the Hornets are going to have plenty of that if Kimba Walker walks away. <laughs> raw dude, but I like him. I think it is somebody that can help you out. And he, he's absolutely raw, but that would be fun. Miles Bridges, Jackson Hayes, Duncan in the front court. Look back to that 2013 draft. That was a very weak draft, and the teams that did well went for the raw guys. I mean, they went for the home run picks, and, and that's what you have to do in a weak draft. C.J. McCollum did not look good his first two seasons. It, no. it wasn't somebody that had you had any inkling could turn into this. And Giannis, you know, he showed you some freaky things and maybe that was a little bit more of a gradual step up but you're right it took a little bit for them to be NBA all-star caliber players because the Hornets have been on the cusp of making the playoffs I think that leads to unfair expectations for the rookies that come in like you look for guys that can contribute very quickly and you look for players that can help you get over the hump into the playoffs and that's not what Malik Monk or Miles Bridges have been able to do but maybe that's unfair like I would like the Hornets not to be in playoff contention and go after a guy who is is raw and can lead to big things 
Eastern Conference Finals things down the line. All right. Thanks for listening to Lockdown Hornets here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Lockdown Hornets. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, the Himalaya Podcast app, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Lockdown Hornets. It's lottery day tomorrow. We'll talk to you then. Shenanigans!